Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Very good Tuesday morning to you. Mike McNamara in for a Tuesday edition of All Marine Radio. Right here on your home for it. The All Warrior Radio Network. You know... Were I British, you know what job I would have, like to have? I don't even know what it is. I would want the job as First Lord. First Lord of the Admiralty. I don't even know what that is, right? But it sounds like a cool job. I'm sorry, and who are you? Me? Me? Yes, you, sir. I am the first Lord of the Admiralty. Oh, <laughs> well, come right in. Would you like your table? Yes. What does that? What does that? What does that job entail? Is that the head of the Navy? We're about to find out. The first Lord of the Admiralty. is formerly the office of the first (laughs) Lord of the Admiralty, was the political head of the English and later the British Royal Navy. Oh, that's the Secretary of the Navy? What a disappointment. He was a government senior in he or she. Do they not have that anymore? Hmm. 
responsible for the direction and control of the Admiralty, that's the Royal Navy, and also the general administration of the naval service of the Kingdom of England, Great Britain in the 18th century, and then the United Kingdom, including the Royal Navy and Royal Marines and other services. It was one of the earliest known permanent government posts. The office of First Lord of the Admiralty existed from 1628 until it was abolished when the Admiralty, Air Ministry, Ministry of Defense, and the War Office were all merged to form the new Ministry of Defense in 1964. Its modern-day equivalent is the Secretary of State for Defense, not the Secretary of the Navy? Hmm. Well, who knew? So, anyway, there you go. Start your day with a little bit of wisdom. So, good morning. I'm Michael McNamara, as my mother knows me. And um, welcome to the Birthday Eve edition of All Marine Radio. Grant Newsham's going to join us shortly. We're going to talk about those mock-ups out in the Chinese desert. What do you make of that? Like, how do you spin that one? Yeah, they're identical to American warships. We know that, but we're a peace-loving nation. <laughs> we're a peace-loving nation. We mean no harm. I mean, I know we threaten Taiwan and shit like that, but, I mean, we, we really don't mean anybody any harm, right? Right. So, um, yeah. So we'll talk to Grant about that and some other news. There's some breaking news that, uh, I want to say senators and representatives from, from America without any names in the story have touched down in Taiwan for a bit, for a surprise visit. Hmm. Not sure what to make of that. So we'll ask Grant about that. We'll ask him about President Xi, President Xi Jinping, as he's known, going to be... Uh, Elevated to the same status as Mao Zedong and Chairman Deng. I don't know Deng's complete name. I'm sorry about that. I apologize for that. Um, in that he would become chairman for life. How about that? Yeah, which would be interesting to see if he could actually pull that off because China's a bit more evolved than it used to be. Um, yeah. So we'll ask Grant about that. Um, and then Grant wrote a piece about China power projection and the Chinese Marine Corps. And the Mensa brothers took issues with, well, you can't really project power because everybody will desert. And Grant, I'm not going to tell you what he says, but he has some relatively relatively stern words for the Mensa brothers. Yeah, stay in your lane, boys. Um, so we'll talk about that with Grant. So you'll hear him in a few minutes. What else is going on? Um, that's about it. That's about it. I um, Yesterday I was talking about meeting Trace Gallagher. So when I went to put the, the yesterday's program up, 
So he and I play football <laughs> at the same school. And I and so we crossed paths on Saturday. So I go looking for a, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, your athletic programs, they had a program, right? And they went out and they sold advertising. I know because I did this at one point. They, um, they um, sell advertising to the, like the uh, the places around the campus where students went. Right, the hamburger places, the Seven Eleven, the bars. Right, the the bars that made a lot of money off the the students and the sports programs, and then you got your picture in there as a player. Right, the coaching staff, the schedule, last year's statistics, you know, and it got printed once at the start of the season, and then on game day there might be like a little two pager, done. Right, rosters for both teams, you know. Players in the news, yeah, not so, not very much, okay. But that's the way before the internet it happened. So I go in, and you should see the picture <laughs> of Trace Gallagher. Well, first of all, it's an awesome picture. You can see why he's in TV. If if you haven't checked it out, go to my website and check it out. Yeah, he's a good looking dude, man. When he's a, when he's in college, but he's he looks like a typical Southern California guy. But he's not. He's from the mountains. He's an inland dude. But he's trying to pretend like he's a surf guy. Yeah, that's what he's got going there. So he's got this blonde curly hair thing. Yeah, what's up with that? So anyway, if you didn't see it, you should check it out. The uh, birthday's tomorrow. 246 years old. So happy birthday to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my son got promoted yesterday. So congratulations to Johnny Boy, Major Mac. Yep. Um, and also to his younger brother, Captain Mac, Patrick, in the reserves now. And uh, no, but for getting his dead ass down there and being part of that. And so uh, so great for that one son was promoted. But equally as great that another one got off his dead ass and got down there and was a part of that. Says good things about him. So, uh, anyway. And then today, going to go look for cars, Colleen and I. My car's got 260,000 miles on it. Colleen drives it like it's right off the lot. And she keeps breaking shit. And I said, I, we can't do this anymore. You've got to get your own car. All right, You take mine and you're driving it like it's like I'm, I work from home, man. I drive it to the store, and then on occasion, you're driving my car with two hundred, my truck with two hundred sixty thousand miles, like it's like new. Like you need to stop. I will not stand this aggression. So anyhow, um, we got to go look at cars. We're looking at um, little like hatchbacks for under twenty thousand. If you have any recommendations, let me know. The top three are the Kia Soul. Colleen thinks it looks like a toaster. She's not a big fan. But it is rated at least a point and a half higher than everything else. Number two is something that Hyundai makes, right, from Korea. And number three is something that Nissan makes called the Kicks. 
I drove the kicks, which is kind of what started me thinking this, for a couple weeks when I was back in North Carolina, almost three weeks. And I liked it. Nice little car, drives nice. And uh, so Colleen and I are going to go take a look at some cars today in the hope that she'll stop breaking mine. Yeah, I mean, every time your car, something breaks on your car, what is it? Five hundred, a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, sorry, we got to replace the uh, the shield over your headlight. Oh yeah, how much is that? Six hundred dollars. What? Well, yeah, you know they don't make it. It's out of production. It's da, da, da. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what a joke! What a joke! So yeah, so doing that. Um, what else is going on? Tomorrow's the birthday, so I will do something special for that. I don't really know what yet. Maybe I might do a series of short interviews with, you know, five or six different people. But that might be too much work. Uh, it's always more, it's always easier just to have one person on. Don't you think? I do. Um, <laughs> the lazy man's way. Yeah. Not that I'm lazy, mind you. Okay. Not that I'm lazy. But I mean, phew, come on, and then and then you have to hear like, oh, like, yeah, I have, to, I'm getting coffee, I can't do it, and you know all these bullshit excuses from people. Like, all right, that's fine, that's fine. So uh, yeah, so I'm undecided. I know what I'd like to do. I just don't know if like everybody will the people I would want to participate would because they'll all they'll all have so much shit to do in their life. And the truth is, they're afraid. I know it, you know it, the American people know it. So on that note, right, the United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official Tuesday, November 9th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I don't know why people say that. I just know you're supposed to say it. Yeah. In the year of our Lord, 2021. And uh, who's this dedicated to today? Hmm. What do you do when you don't really, I never really struggled to dedicate this to somebody, but today I'm struggling with it. Hmm. 
So this is dedicated to everybody who's feeling lonely today. All right? Get out there and go do something. Right? Don't sit around and be lonely. I know that's easier said than done. But I meet a lot of people, and I think one of the things when we struggle in life, the way we cope with it is we spend more time by ourselves. So what I'm going to tell you is do the, do the opposite. Be George Costanza. If you think you should isolate, do the opposite. You know, I just looked at something. Last week I interviewed Grant. And the and it's just, just sitting in front of me. They're like on top of each other. The time of the interview was sixty eight minutes and twenty seconds. Today's interview is sitting right beneath it. Sixty eight minutes and nine seconds. How amazing is that? I wonder why that happens. Hmm. Hmm. Why at the 68-minute mark do I have a little chime that goes off in my head that says, all right, enough of this rube. Hmm. So back to isolation. So if you're alone and you're struggling in your solitude, right, do the opposite. Be George Costanza. Okay? Have you ever heard his little narrative of the opposite? George Costanza is one of the funniest characters ever on TV. Okay? I'll play it for you. Honestly, this is very, very funny. Why, when you Google the opposite, would you not get video? Hmm. And as usual, right, YouTube, as I said, I wondered for a long time, how is this thing ever going to make any money? Okay, now, I want to play two clips, okay? One is my favorite, I think. And it's, remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. What I think I may be the single funniest thing. This and the Festivus stuff to me is like piss your pants laughing stuff. George Costanza and Frank Costanza pretty funny too. But this is uh, George Costanza. All right, stand by. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie. If you believe it. <laughs> Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie. If you believe it. Yeah, it's called insanity. Okay, so this is George sitting in the diner. Oh my God, I almost knocked over my tea. Um, and I'm very religious about that. I put my tea in the same place all the time because I've knocked it over. And that doesn't go well on keyboards, okay? And I violated that rule almost like I, I just made an incredible save that you'll never even know about. So 
so this is George, Elaine, and Jerry in the diner and the uh, talking about how George concludes that he should always do the opposite. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. <laughs> Tuna toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. <laughs> well, there's no telling what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna because salmon swim against the current and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. I think beef would be the subject of, uh, I think it would be the opposite of tuna would be beef, wouldn't it? I think Jerry's like totally wrong right there. doesn't have anything to do with swimming. It's still in the fish family, Jerry. You dope. Now, at this point in the scene, so I can set this up, right, a very attractive blonde that's sitting at the counter looks, right, right, casts her gaze in George's direction. So because this is an audio event, you can't really see that, but you'll hear him, right? So here you go. Uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> The opposite, all right? So do the opposite, all right? Be George Costanza today. So this is dedicated to everybody who's tending to isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Do the opposite.
betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. For this campus had prepared him well. <clears throat> I'm very confident that, thank you very much. <clears throat> if this was vodka, it'd be a lot better speech. <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And so our major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Alright, we'll check the George Costanza. Come on man, that dude's hilarious. Yeah, those two lines about <laughs> remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Oh my God, that's so funny. Um, and the opposite. Yeah, very funny. Uh, we'll check the weather right now. On our way to the news. We'll check the weather on our way to the newsroom. That's how radio people say it. Um, currently in Quantico, the crossroads of the Marine Corps or the off-ramp of the Marine Corps not sure which applies to you, but one of the two normally does. Um, sunny in 63 down the coast at Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point. Sunny and 68. Yeah, nice day so far. Cherry Point at uh, in 29 Palms. It is sunny and 67 over on the coast. Camp Pendleton, it is partly sunny and 59. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark, cloudy, and 69. Okinawa, dark, cloudy, 65. Manila, dark, cloudy, 81. And Darwin, clear, dark, and 81. At the home of All Marine Radio, it is mostly cloudy with a current temperature of 62 en route to a high today of 68 degrees. Tomorrow, we're looking for 71. On Thursday, 87 degrees. On Friday, 87 degrees. On Saturday, 82 degrees. Yeah, global warming. La Nina, one of those. Right? Just throw them all under the bus, right? Throw it all out there. See what sticks. All right. That is a uh, that is a look at your weather this morning. So, um, we'll t- check the news headlines right now, and then you'll hear Grant Newsham. So let me let me blow through the news headlines rather quickly. And we'll get to Grant Newsham. Uh, top story in Stars and Stripes today is woman graduates Army sniper course for the first time. A Montana Army National Guard. Montana. A Montana girl, of course. A Montana Army National Guard soldier has become the first woman to complete the seven-week U.S. Army sniper course in Fort Benning, Georgia, according to military officials there. Um. Congratulations. 
right? Congratulations. Um, here's a very disturbing story. Um, metallurgist admits faking steel test results for Navy subs. This is an Associated Press story. A metallurgist in Washington State pled guilty to fraud Monday after she spent decades faking the results of strength tests on steel that was being used to make U.S. Navy submarines. Elaine Marie Thomas, 67, of Auburn, Washington, was director of the metallurgy at a foundry in Tacoma that supplied steel castings used by Navy contractors at electric boats and Newport News shipbuilding to make submarine hulls. Listen to this shit, man. This is amazing. And 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 so I, I guess it begs the question, where you have single source suppliers, don't you there's no other independent arbiter of this thing? Do you allow the supplier to give you the data that tells you what they're doing? Especially in things like metal that is relatively significant to like the hulls of submarines and shit like that? Do you not randomly test it? Evidently not. From 1985 through 2017, Thomas falsified the results of strength and toughness tests for at least 240 productions of steel, about half the steel the foundry produced for the Navy, according to her plea agreement. Filed Monday in U.S. District Court in Tacoma, the tests were intended to show the steel would not fail in a collision or in certain wartime scenarios, the Justice Department said. There was no allegation that any submarine hulls failed, but authorities said the Navy had incurred increased costs and maintenance to ensure they remained seaworthy. The government did not disclose which subs were effective. Thomas faces up to 10 years in prison and a million-dollar fine when she is sentenced in February. However, the Justice Department said it would recommend a prison term at the low end of whatever the court determines is the standard sentencing range for her case. In a statement filed in U.S. District Court on her behalf, her attorney, John Carpenter, said Thomas took shortcuts. Ms. Thomas never intended to compromise the integrity of any material and is gratified that the government's testing does not suggest that the structural integrity of any submarine was in fact compromised. This offense is unique and that it was neither motivated by greed nor any desire for personal enrichment. She regrets that she failed to follow her moral compass. Admitting to false statements is hardly how she envisioned living her retirement years. Thomas's conduct came to light in 2017 when a metallurgist being groomed to replace her noticed suspicious test results and alerted the company. Kansas City-based Bradkin Incorporated, which acquired the foundry in 2008. Bradkin fired Thomas and initially disclosed its findings to the Navy, but then wrongfully suggested that the discrepancies were not the result of fraud. That hindered the Navy's investigation into the scope of the problem as well as its effort to remediate the risk to its sailors. In June of 2020, the company agreed to pay $10.9 million in a deferred prosecution agreement. Wow. 
So how, yeah. So I think what's surprising to me when you read the story is there's no other test. I mean, I mean, this is like a significant test, right? The steel you're going to make the hull of a submarine with. The company says, yeah, we've tested this. And you say, okay, got it. Huh? I mean, don't you randomly test steel every once in a while? I'm not. Look, I don't play a metallurgist assigned to the Department of the Navy. I'm not one, though, but I would play one on the radio. And I would say that's a bit shocking to me, that we don't, in fact, things that are that significant, that we don't, um, that we don't test them on a somewhat random basis. Here's a story from the San Diego Union-Tribune. Quote, we got to fix it. Navy secretary says fire infrastructure on San Diego-based piers needs improvement. Fuck. A fire starts on the USS Bonhomme Richard. It takes two hours before someone dumps something on the fire. Two hours. You have damage control people on the ship. You have fire marshal on the ship. And nobody goes down to fight the fire. No sailor takes the initiative to fight the fire. The first thing that's dumped on the fire is water by the San Diego Fire Department. What's wrong with that picture? And now we're going to talk about, oh, our shit pure side isn't up to snuff. Let me read the article. Uh, a little bit of it. Recommended improvements to Navy infrastructure at its San Diego bases should be part of next year's defense spending bill after two service investigations found the lack of firefighting resources on the pier contributed to the July 2020 Bonhomme Richard disaster. Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro said Monday after spending the weekend touring base facilities. Mr. Del Toro, I have a question for you. I cannot recall a United States naval warship burning at sea like the Bonhomme Richard burned in port. So, you have in port largely what you have at sea. What will we do about the human capital that didn't do anything to fight the fire? Do you have an opinion about that, sir? Uh, next question. Hold on, I've got a list. Where's the Associated Press reporter that I'm supposed to call on? That's not you, shithead, asking questions like that. What a joke. Honestly. I mean, you watch this shit on a daily basis. It's I'll tell you what. The great headline of the day is the Vice President of the United States going to a, a crisis on on migrants in your... In, Right, right, hold on. Oh, shit, I don't even have it queued up. The rim shot. Where is the rim shot when I need it? Okay. The, um, yeah, you cannot make this shit up, right? So give me a second. I have to tee the rim shot up. I know. I know, Mac, you should have had it teed up. I just upgraded the Windows 11, man. Come on, give me a break. How's the upgrade going, Max? Somebody sent me an email asking me about that. Um, so far, so good. 
I haven't had any major issues with upgrading to Windows 11. So now that I have my, uh, my handy-dandy radio DJ screen up. Okay, you ready? Let me make sure the volume's all the way up. All right. Um, so ironies of ironies today. The Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, right? She's headed to a migrant crisis in Europe. Right. Hold on. She's headed to a migrant crisis in Europe. What? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you, the vice president is struggling. Nobody likes her. And she, like, I don't think you need to be a um, tarot card reader or a palm reader to see that the vice president's uh, brand is not meshing with the president's brand. The president's brand is not meshing with the American people's brand very well either. So, yeah. And so, you, I mean, just, I mean, the crazy stuff. So now, are we going to talk about the human problem on the Bonhammer chart? Or are we just going to say, uh, Navy, you know, beat Army, woo? Um, painful, painful to watch. All right. Top headline in the Wall Street Journal is GE to split into three public companies, aviation, healthcare, and energy. So congratulations to everybody at GE. Hopefully that'll work out well if you have your stock options, right? But a lot of articles about how cities and states are going to spend the $1 trillion that the nation will spend on infrastructure. Now, I will tell you this. I don't know exactly what's earmarked in for what in this bill, but I can tell you this. Years ago, when I was living in North Dakota, a, um, a bridge on I-35 in Minneapolis collapsed during rush hour, killing a bunch of people. And, you know, I think, you know, most people watched it on television. The state of Minnesota then undertook uh, a survey of all overpasses and bridges in the state. And much of, many of the bridges built during the Depression, right, with uh, the Civilian Conservation Corps program, uh, the Work Projects Administration, known as CCC and WPA. And those things are now, uh, what, 20 years, sh 10 years short, 15 years short of being 100 years old. And the price tag to repair that stuff, you know, would have taken the state of Minnesota 100 years to do it. So much of the nation is in that state. So there are infrastructure investments that need to be made. The question is, does this do that? Right? Headline, Wall Street Journal. How cities could spend $1 trillion on infrastructure, roads, trains, and highway exits. Quote, our population centers are booming, but our infrastructure hasn't kept up. So here's a question for you. 
where's all that tax money going? People pay taxes, right? Property taxes, gas taxes in states. Where's all this money going? Hmm. There's a good question for you. Here's a, here's a couple paragraphs out of the story. Dayton, Ohio is looking at rebuilding roads. Denver needs to expand highway exits. Austin, Texas wants to expand public transportation. Quote, we've been waiting for an infrastructure package for a decade as mayors. The head of uh, the mayor of Dayton, Nan Whaley, a Democrat who leads the U.S. Conference of Mayors, said, For her city, the infrastructure bill would provide much-needed funding for road reconstruction and to upgrade and replace sewers and water lines. The legislation includes $110 billion in funding for roads, bridges, and major projects, as well as $39 billion to modernize and make public transportation more accessible. The measure also includes $73 billion to update and expand the power grid, another $55 billion would go to- towards clean drinking water, whatever that means, and $65 billion will go towards broadband infrastructure and development. So be interesting. Let me tell you, um, if there isn't a priority to do what states and cities need as opposed to what they want, people should go to jail. So when we inject a trillion dollars into the infrastructure of the nation and we do want bullshit and we don't do need stuff, yeah, those politicians should go to jail, period. McNamara says, take that to the bank. Um, Let me see if there's anything. There is a, an opinion piece that says Xi Jinping battens down the hatches, which means He's going to be somebody for life. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's happening, it's like Bizarro World, right? Which is something on Seinfeld, I think. And that is the Biden administration saying that, yeah, we there's nothing we can do about gas prices. Huh? Like, what? 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 Yeah. My son Patrick would used to say, what? But he, he wouldn't put the T on the end. He'd look at you and go, what? Yeah, what? W-H-A, what? Yeah, that's like, I think it's kind of dumb guy. Like, what? Huh? Yeah, you, I mean, wait a minute. We can do that. Right? I mean, we just did it not too long ago. Hmm. Yeah. And so and you see that they say this stuff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, you mean, you know, produce more petroleum? No, we're just going to get on our knees and beg OPEC to do it. Oh, yeah. Right. So let me just tell you, this is the pain that we're all going to go through, right? And then in less than a year, the House and the Senate will both change hands. And hopefully the Republicans, right, will do some things for the economy that relieve this pressure. But this crazy shit going on in the country, I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. 
Mac, your right-wing views on the economy. Right-wing? Are you kidding me? Gas is like averaging in the nation like over $4. Normally, like gas in California will be three-something. I'll go to North Carolina. It's 230-something. Okay? And now in places like North Carolina, it's over $4 a gallon. And on the coast, it's close to 5 how long do you think the American people are going to play that stupid fucking game? And then listen to people stand up and say, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, now we're now yet what? I think uh, a series of senators go to the White House. Democratic senators go to the White House to talk to the president about using the strategic oil reserve. Yeah, I don't know. You just watch it. It's like it defies... It defies logic. It defies logic. And again, to me, what's dangerous in the nation, how do you get here, is you have most of the American media has taken a side in all of this, and they will not say that's bullshit when it is bullshit. And so what you're getting in in most of our media outlets is the Biden administration talking points. And journalism reporting was n- is supposed to report the facts. So, anyway, and again, no, con- no reaction yet to Iranian-sponsored drone attacks on American soldiers in Syria from, what, two weeks ago. Still haven't seen nothing of that. Yeah, I don't what are we doing? On the heels of Afghanistan, we're going to act weaker. I don't want to get myself spun up. All right, USNI news. Oh wait, New York Times. I I need to What's the New York Times reporting this morning? Everybody wants to know that, right? Okay, maybe not, but nonetheless, I paid for a digital subscription so I could read something. Pfizer expected to ask regulators to approve boosters for all adults. Yeah, COVID. I'm not so interested in COVID. I'm sorry. I mean, the COVID craziness of the world. Now, everybody's written about the supply chain, right? Headline in the New York Times, the biggest kink in America's supply chain, not enough truckers. How do we not have enough truckers? Right? How does that happen? Amazing. Amazing. All right. Um, USNI News. Top story. Report to Congress on legislation requiring women register for the draft. Now, let me tell you. This is a little kind of interesting Texas two-step that's being done with this issue. Okay. Um, so women are the equals of men in all military assignments. So why are only men required to register for selective services? Okay, so clearly that's wrong and should be remedied, right? So once we say, yeah, women are, are the equal, then, then that should be remedied. Yay? Yay. 
Okay. However, politically, that dog is not going to hunt very much. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. What? So um, Congress is trying to find a way out of that. Yeah. So that's, that's what's, in my opinion, humorous about this. From the report, one issue of debate in the FY 2022 National Defense Authorization Act is whether women should be required to register for the draft. This question has been the subject of legislative proposals in prior Congresses and decisions by the courts. Regarding female registration, the MNAPS, MNAPS, whatever the hell that is, commission concluded, quote, the time is right to extend selective service registration to include men and women between the ages of 18 and 26. This is a necessary and fair step, making it possible to draw on the talents of a unified nation in a time of a national emergency. Of course, right? Similar provisions in the House passed and Senate introduced bills, sections 513 and 511 respectively, would require selective service registration requirements for women. The Biden administration and some women's and men's advocacy group support expanding registration requirements based on equity arguments. Other advocacy advocacy groups are opposed to requiring women for the draft. Hmm. How can you not? So there's this kabuki dance going on because politicians don't want to get, right? They don't want to get whacked with that. Next headline. This is where the first Lord of the Admiralty thing came from earlier today. Good God, it's almost 9 o'clock. New UK Royal, I'm running my yap too much. New UK Royal Navy First Lord takes command, confirms with USCNO Gilday. A new head of the UK Royal Navy has taken command. That's what it is. Royal Navy First Lord. Whoa. That's a cool title. I'm not going to lie to you. Next headline, China, quote, clearly developing aviation and maritime capabilities to counter U.S. in Indo-Pacific, says the Pentagon. Well, no shit. You know what? I cannot suggest to you a greater waste of time than watching a spokesperson for the Pentagon or anyone else run their yap. I don't know what that guy's name is, um, but... He used to be a United States Navy officer, and he stands up there. He Look, he's a spokesperson. He knows nothing. Uh, and he was all over the news yesterday. I, don't need, I didn't even turn on the audio. I'm just watching. What a waste of time. Public affairs officers. Oh, my God. Let me talk to a principal, okay? I don't want to hear from you. All you're going to tell me is bullshit. Thank you. Yes, the interesting story, right? The interesting story about all of this is China message sending. They know that those mock-ups are going to be seen at some point. So they're message sending. Grant talks about that. So I I will go no further into that. Yeah. Um, Top headlines, Marine Corps Times. Headline of the day is... 
246 birthday messages here. U.S. Marine Corps rebuffs report that the Royal Marines dominated them <laughs> in a training exercise. Oh, my God. Now we're having a media war over who beat who in a fucking training exercise. Okay, as I said last week, very poor taste of whoever it was in the U.K. who, you know, started lipping off about... um started lipping off about, you know, we kicked their ass. Really? Are we going to play that game? We kicked your ass. Oh, no, we kicked your ass. Oh, no. Come on, man. It's just stupid. It's, it's stupid. I would prefer whoever the Marine spokesman was would have said, you know, this is a training exercise. In those training exercises, Right, there is an ebb and flow in the exercise. Given the quality of soldiering in the British Army, we would certainly expect that they would excel at points. And knowing the quality of the American Marine Corps, we would expect at certain phases they would excel. To have this discussion is beneath both branches of these fine institutions, and we will have no further comment. Yeah, how about that? That actually sounded pretty good, right? All right, top stories in early birds, and then Grant Newsham's going to join us. Yeah, I did not intend to run my yap this long, so I apologize. Um, number one, troops with families trapped in Afghanistan get extraction extraction help offer from the Pentagon. Now I'm this this confuses me. Who has family in Afghanistan that is a quote unquote troop? Service members who still have family stranded in Afghanistan may have new reason for hope. A memo sent out last week by the DOD said that troops can help by reporting names of those family members which will be shared. Last month, veteran groups and alarmed lawmakers in Congress worked fr frantically to help at least 48 service members in the Army and the Marine Corps who have 550 relatives stuck in... So I, I don't... Somebody explain this to me. So they joined the military while they were here, here in the United States. They have relatives... Not their immediate family. They have relatives in Afghanistan. Yes, yeah, so this is kind of a, again, the, once you begin to, 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 to draw this out, you're like, oh. So you have extended family in Afghanistan and you want to bring them here. Well, that's not, troops with families trapped. That's a little bit different headline. All right. Next, military can't find ISIS safe house that prompted Kabul drone strike. Oh, uh, my God. This story gets nothing but worse. This is in the New York Times, written by Eric Schmidt. The U.S. military has not located a suspected Islamic State safe house in Kabul, Afghanistan, that officials initially said 
led to an American drone strike on August 29th that mistakenly killed 10 civilians, including seven children, according to two senior military officials. Uh, This is amateur shit, honestly, amateur shit. So then they, they, so what, we offered an excuse? Oh, yeah, that it came from the safe house? Well, where's the safe house? We don't know. What? Uh, Next story. The military is failing to comply with federal law in sexual assault cases, new watchdog report finds. Nearly a decade after Congress mandated the use of investigators and prosecutors who are specifically trained to handle sexual assault and domestic violence cases, a draft of a new Pentagon report obtained by CBS News revealed the military is failing to comply with federal law that requires it to give survivors support. In an analysis of almost 450 military special victims cases filed between 2018 and 2020, The Department of Defense's inspector general found that 64% did not have properly trained prosecutors assigned to them. In many of the cases, the assigned prosecutor was an inexperienced junior prosecutor without specialized training in special victims' cases. You know, what do they think fills the ranks of the DOD in terms of lawyers? Senior, right? Senior lawyers that have... No, they get out and go make money. Hmm. And then there's a graphic. Failed to appoint special prosecutors. Air Force, 94%. Army, 59%. Navy, 59%. Marine Corps, 30%. Whoa. So what's the problem there? Uh, Next story. Metallurgist admits faking steel test results for Navy subs. Ugh. Right, we talked about that. VA secretary promises quicker action on burn pit benefits and veteran suicide. Yeah, if you haven't seen the latest initiative on veteran suicide, it is take their guns. Firearm awareness. Yeah, you know what that's going to play in the veteran community? Right. So there you go. Your federal government, hard at work for you. Overseas operations headlines before I end this marathon news segment. Right? They were children when the Afghan war began. As soldiers, they carried the burden of ending it. Um, India readies troops for another harsh winter on the border with China. Next headline, USI's January rollout of first projects to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative. Ten large infrastructure projects. We'll ask Grant what he thinks about that. Iran wants U.S. assurances it will never abandon nuclear deal if revived. Crisis worsens on the Poland-Belarus border, Belarus border, as migrants congregate and troops are mobilized.
Canadian, this is no kidding, Canadian woman becomes first person diagnosed as suffering from climate change. Huh? What? Biden condemns attempted assassination of the Iraqi prime minister. That's always nice to see. All right. Without further ado, uh, Grant Newsham um, is uh, going to join me. And so uh, stand by for the one and only Grant. And um, here you have him. Joining me this morning is uh, Grant Newsham in uh from taipei grant uh how are you oh fine thanks it's um yeah you know i'm usually pretty good so you know that's my standard action reaction so if i, <laughs> if I ever say anything else you know something something's really wrong something's amiss the yeah, um we need a weather update from taipei oh hot still like, yeah yeah it doesn't doesn't cool off here for till january probably wow all right, so it's still hot. Um, now, could you give us Okinawa is cooled off? That's north of you. Darwin, I mean, I do. I see the weather in Darwin on a daily basis. Uh, it continues to be uh, in the evening in the mid eighties, mid to low eighties. Um, mm-hmm. In the evening in Taipei, what would it be? Humid and seventy-ish. Yeah, it's 70-ish. not Darwinish, but it's uh, yeah. But Darwin, you know, you can get. Not just sweat, you can get eaten by alligators down there if you stick your stick your toe into the ocean. <laughs> if you're not paying attention, the um, yesterday a story uh, circulating around the world with and again, I think this is what made it so amazing was that it had pictures. Okay, so for those of us who who read, right, uh, words are powerful, but for the rest of the world pictures are uh i mean what the hell they made usa today into a significant thing right pictures so um there's pictures of out in the chinese desert very pretty detailed uh imagery of an american aircraft carrier and an american i can't remember which class destroyer it was uh a very detailed uh mock-ups so that they could do um, bomb runs, they could do missile tests, blah, 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 blah. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And um, w- specifically with this idea in mind, and that is the Chinese know at some point if they build this stuff, it is going to, it is going to get into the public realm. Uh, it is simply too big to hide. So if we're sitting around the Chinese OPT, as they describe creating these things, what is that OPT talking about? Um, I can only speculate, but yeah, what you've described is the, you know, what they've got at this uh, sort of missile test range or test range out it's out west in Shanx, in uh, western china in the desert and it was i think in a carrier and two burke class destroyers and they also had another carrier mock-up that was on rails so you could move it and 
this is you know obviously one useful uh, sort of one purpose of this is to use it for getting your sort of your missiles uh, right, uh, particularly getting the warheads you know so they can hit a, a moving target that looks like an American ship. And they've been talking about this for a long time, and they even tested one of these rockets against a moving target down in the South China Sea. I think it was in 2020. Uh, and so it's not nothing. It's nothing new. And also, they've had targets out out in that area uh, in the past that you know have uh, looked like Yokosuka Air Base, naval base in Japan. Uh, they've got that layout there. Uh, also, they've had other mock-ups of. Um, aircraft carriers, and also of the ta Taiwan's presidential palace. Uh, so, you know, this is nothing new, and it's probably, they've you know, been doing this sort of thing for 20 years. Uh, so, of course, one aspect of this is they're sort of saying, you know, the one they're practicing to be able to kill us and to sink our ships out at sea. So you, you may think you're out at sea moving around and fairly safe, except for maybe submarines or such like. But now you've got ballistic missiles that they want to be have them be able to hit moving ships and moving carriers. And you can see the problems with that. Uh, you know, and that is what they're trying to do. You know, they, you know, we see, you know, we sometimes, some of us call China an existential threat to us. And that means they could destroy us or control us. And China sees America as an existential threat, and what are you willing to do against a, a threat that you consider a life or death matter? You're willing to do a lot, and that's what the Chinese have been willing to do and getting ready to do for a long time. We've just chosen not to, to believe it. Uh, but also, the, the one aspect of this is, as you pointed out, they know, they know we're going to see this. Somebody's going to spot it. And so there is a you know a bit of show, showing off going on and sort of psychological warfare there as well. It's either to frighten or to awe the Americans. But you always have to consider when the Chinese do something like this is consider what you're not seeing. You know, and when everybody is looking at this one thing, it's always a good idea to look where everybody isn't and consider what else might be going on. What else might they have uh, that they... Um, aren't showing us because uh, that deception is a standard part of Chinese operations. You know, you know how we put out every year, uh, like about uh, a defense white paper, right. and we, you know, we explain exactly what our, def you know, our defense defense uh, things are doing. You know, and it's very clear. You could use it as a reference book, and scholars do. The Chinese don't do that, or not in any way that we would recognize as being open or honest. But we show everything. The Chinese don't. They show as little as possible. So when they show us something like this, you have to look at it. You have to take it seriously, but also wonder about what is it we're not saying? You know, what capabilities have they got that they're not telling us about? Um, and often when they do boast about a capability like this, that they don't have it ready yet. And when they're not talking about a capability, you know, the things they don't talk about are the things that they probably got ready, and then they spring it on us. So, you know, this is, say there's different ways to look at this, is that, you know, it is an effort to manipulate us, uh, but it is showing that you know, what they've got in mind for us, which is to sink our carriers, sink our ships, to leave Yokosuka Naval Base in a smoking ruin someday, and every other American base in Asia. Uh, and then, then on the other hand, you know, what else is it that they've got that we don't know? You know, they, and... 
that is has got to give you some some concern. But with this report, you know, U.S. Naval Institute reported it a couple of days ago and got, was breathlessly reported. But as others have pointed out, you know, this has been going on for 20 years. You know, we've seen similar mock-ups. So it's not um, as if something which, you know, just came to a sort of came about yesterday. Um, but you've um, once again, you know, to think of all of the dismissals that went into uh China, the things that we, over the years, were all our experts. And even within the Marine Corps and the military, it was all, oh, China will never be our equals. China only wants to defend themselves. You know, they don't have any external interests, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing to worry about. Well, here we are. And there is stuff to worry about. And it's, uh, people are finally recognizing this. But it is, of course, uh, a, it, a lot la- later than it should have been. So that was my take on it. It seems to be having, um, like pictures do, right? It seems to be having a uh, another brick in this. Uh, I don't know, uh, Washington D.C. Um, panic. Um, dare I say, uh, Pentagon panic over China, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, so, as pictures tend to do, do you think it incites a greater panic and maybe, you know, gives us less wiggle room? You know, I would hope so. But, and it does get people's attention. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't really get that sense of urgency. You know, I do get some... So never underestimate the power of Washington, D.C. to sweep aside something that's actually real and legitimate in order to make more money for their cronies on Wall Street? Yeah, or you know, or if you're the, one of the top dogs in the military, to avoid having to actually like get ready to fight a war uh, that you might that be held be. responsible for. And I'm not being cynical, but you're you're starting to hear once again uh, from the the top levels of the military these statements that America, we've got to engage with the Chinese, we've got to do mill to mill, you know, things. Because that's the only way we can know each other and avoid miscommunications. I mean, this failed approach, you know, and that is actually contrary to human what we know about human nature and experience. This idea that if, oh, if we can just talk to the Chinese, they will see that we're not a threat and they'll be nice. The Trump administration tried to stop this, and now we're hearing our say our the perfume princes once again wanting to get onto that China mill to mill gravy train. Uh, and you're starting to hear once again from not just in, within the military, but in the the commentariat that of which I guess I'm a part. You are. You know, this, I, wait, I'm. Need I, 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 I remind you? Yes, the commentariati. But the uh, but you're starting to hear once again. Well, Taiwan really isn't worth it, and this is dangerous. So. So if say, Taiwan is not, is Japan? Well, is Canada? It, is you know, ca- the, is California? Is California? We'll draw the no. we'll draw a heavy line in Hawaii. Well, I would except for uh, like Carlsbad or Oceanside. But the, uh, <laughs> Carlsbad uh, is yeah. not Oceanside. I know. Uh, I know Oceanside. It is not Carlsbad. Well, I was sort of bracketing wherever I thought uh, AMR was broadcasting from, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, just so it would be preserved. But the uh, you know they, it, they you always keep we always keep. Falling back, you know, no position is quite right to defend. 
like that rascal Joseph Johnston before Atlanta, you know, just kept falling back and falling back. And that's, you know, one aspect of this Taiwan isn't worth it, you know, thing that you're hearing now. Uh, as I said, I just don't see the, you know, there's concern, but I don't see the urgency. You know, has anyone come up with a plan to uh, build our Navy into the kind of Navy that can fight a, fight a battle at sea and win? Uh, I don't see it. You know, you play this out and by the end of the, the decade, you know, China is probably going to have 100 more ships. And we'll be at about what four fifty plus. Yeah, four four sixty is the number. Okay, I saw I saw most recently. Okay, and you know, so look at us. You know, we're still going to be around three hundred ish, and we just can't get our act together. So, say there's alleged concern and probably some worry, but nobody's talking much about doing anything uh, to deal with the problem, as near as I can tell. You know, there's people on Capitol Hill who are trying. Uh, and there are people, you know, around Washington who are, of course, it's not fair to say nobody is, but, you know, in too many places where they do have authority and responsibility, I say I don't see the, the sense of urgency, you know, unfortunately. Um, you know, and wait a week and these pictures from Xinjiang and these yeah. aircraft carriers, et cetera, they'll forget about it. You know, we'll be the, the, the next thing Got you know, it. would be, unfortunately. But, you know, we are, you know, that latest report that came out, the China military report that I think DOD puts out, was actually very good. Um, it has everything in there just about that you need to know what the Chinese are up to. And I think it gets, you know, gets things right. You know, of course, there's, you know, with these things, there's always things you can take issue with. But I think it's a, a very good, a good piece of work. And if anyone needed to know uh, what the, the risk is, what's coming from China, this report um, uh, is a good one. You know, read it. Your, your blood kind of curdles or is that's the, you know, it, it ought to scare you when you read it. Um, but the, the important thing is, okay, what are we going to do about it? And that I don't see the... Uh, the the what to do about it part of this uh, anywhere and that's not a good thing. All right. So, but my hope is that these pictures, be, and as they tend to do, scare people, and are mm -hmm. another little uh, tile in the mosaic of um, of maybe we will evolve our policies uh, into something that is coherent and is aimed at preserving the rules based order that the you know that the free democracies of the world. Uh, have thrived in, have in, existed in since World War II, and, and maybe we can uh, do things that that affirm everybody's commitment uh, to uh, to preserving that order. I want to ask you about um, a headline: U.S. Congress group makes surprise trip to Taiwan. Four senators and two members of the House of Representatives touched down in a Navy plane on a trip organized by Washington's de facto embassy, according to a report. Beijing says visit amounts to, quote, rude interference in China's internal affairs. Um, so you're in Taiwan. And, uh, and I will give you a list of the, uh, of the members that, uh, that went ahead and made the visit. Hold on. Or maybe I won't. Oh, there's no list of uh, who it who it actually was. Hold on, I'm looking, I'm looking. 
regarding the visit by U.S. representatives and senators. Hmm. There's no list of who it was. There's got to be a list. It's not classified. So did you know about such visit, Grant? <laughs> no, nobody tells me anything. Whoa. <laughs> no, I didn't. The, uh, you know, it's good to see, you know, and, and it does point out that there are people, as I said, on Capitol Hill who understand the importance of Taiwan uh, in the bigger picture and, you know, who are willing to, you know, to stick their necks out. And, you know, make it so they will never be able to visit China when the, as long as the communists are running. Uh, but the, there was a fellow named uh, Senator what, Josh Hawley, mm -hmm. uh, who just put out something or introduced a bill called the Taiwan Deterrence Act. And you can actually re get it on the Internet and read it. And it's pretty easy reading. Uh, and it really is a, does a very good job of sort of laying out what sort of support China or excuse me, Taiwan needs. And, you know, it's a, you know, calling on the U.S. government to do this, this, this and this. But it's a very good, say so they do a good job. And they also include in it the, the a sort of a mandate for doing joint training and in, engagement with the Taiwanese military. And they really cover the waterfront very well. And, you know, some good thought went into this by him and his staff members and others. And, you know, so they say so there are people who understand what needs done you know, in D.C., and that Taiwan Deterrence Act is very interesting uh, one to look at because it really does get a lot of uh, the basics right, to my way of thinking, and a lot of the specifics uh, as well. So it's good to see, you know, our you know, congressmen and senators who are willing to get on a plane and go somewhere without asking uh, Beijing's permission. Uh, and you're also seeing that when Taiwan is willing to have them come, um, and, and take the heat from uh, from China. And Taiwan's also publicizing a lot of these things that are going on, like the, the Taiwan Marines that trained in Guam. Uh, a few years ago, that would have been a state secret practically, and it would have gotten no publicity. But now they're pretty open about it. Uh, the, the Taiwan Defense Minister, or Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, was in Eastern Europe uh, just the other week. And this is all well publicized. And, you know, European, EU, European Union parliamentarians visiting Taiwan and this too widely publicized. So, you know, Taiwan in some respects that you can see this is a, a good sign of just how worried they are. They almost figure, I think, they've got nothing to lose by um, trying to get the free world to help them and to not hide it when they do. Uh, so if yeah, I'd be interested to know which uh, congressmen and senators it was. Is it um, well? Here's another. Here's another story. This is in the Taiwan News. Um, a delegation of members of Congress reportedly arrived in Taipei on an unannounced visit via U.S. Navy aircraft on Tuesday evening, November 9th. That's you right now. At 7:09 p.m., the Facebook page of Taiwan aircraft spotter southwest airspace of taiwan posted an image of a flight path of a boeing c-40a registered to the u.s military taking off from clark air base in the philippines and landing in northern taiwan it listed the aircraft's tail number as cnb 7212 and according to aircraft tracker websites and flight radar 24 the plane is registered to the u.s navy air logistics office 
That evening, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs issued a statement in response to questions by the media as to whether the plane was carrying U.S. senators and congressmen. The ministry cryptically responded by saying that the relevant itinerary has been coordinated with the American Institute of Taiwan. What is the American Institute of Taiwan? Well, that's sort of the unofficial, that's what they call the U.S. Embassy uh, in Taiwan. Got it. The ministry stated that it is providing administrative assistance to the delegation and is coordinating with the Central Epidemic Central Command Center on relevant epidemic prevention measures, acknowledging that it is a visit by U.S. officials and stated that this, quote, case is a result of coordination between the U.S. and Taiwan. So kind of cryptic little visit there. Yeah, uh, it, sound, it sounds um, virus-related. Uh, and there's been talk recently of uh, having a formal setup sort of uh, with the Centers for Disease Controls having a formal relationship and setting up in each other's capitals, as I understand it. Uh, just recently, that's come about. Uh, so maybe that's sort of the cover story for it. And, you know, I'm not, you know, you know it's uh, not, uh, yeah, I'm using the word cover kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but that that is an area where the Americans and the Taiwanese can sort of cooperate and do some, treat each other or have the Americans treat the Taiwanese the way you would a, a normal country. Uh, so this is very, it's interesting. I'll be curious to, to know who it is that came. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, not a whole lot else written. And, and, and we're talking about now time now, or just a couple, a few hours ago. So breaking news here on all Marine radio. Um, I want you to explain something to us. Um, hold on. I've got to get the story. Um, China Communist Party on the cusp on the cusp of history, as Xi Jinping set stage for landmark resolution at the sixth plenium. So, could you explain to everybody what a plenium is? What's going on in China, and what are the odds makers in Vegas saying is going to happen at this thing? Oh goodness, it's a uh, plenum. I think it's plenum plenium is uh, in this case is plenum plenum i think a plenium is something i think it's a plumbing tool is a plenum or maybe it's something in your lower bowels uh not for long but it um uh it's a get it's a get this case it's a get together of the chinese communist party central committee which is a couple hundred people with a hundred alternates or such like and they get together and they rubber stamp these statements that have been made elsewhere. And it's not a discussion or a debate. They get together and, you know, somebody reads off, you know, the the glories of the Communist Party and what the future is going to be like and what they're going to do. And everyone claps or whatever, you know, the Chinese do. And in this case, the big thing is it's going to, in all likelihood, like 99% certainty is going to, make Xi Jinping the uh, dictator for life. And that's, they'll call it something else, but that's pretty much what the outcome of this will be. So if you think of it like a bunch of mafia bosses getting getting together uh, for their annual event, and the, you know, the, that's kind of what it is. Not one of these people has been elected to anything. Uh, and 
this is is what it is, but it's no surprises of what's coming uh, here. But the big thing will be she will be installed forever. Uh, the well, you notice that in the run up to this, like in the the months ahead, that there was a lot of talk in the commentariat that maybe the at this meeting they're going to kick she out because he's got so much opposition. But that I think was always wishful thinking that it's almost impossible in the Chinese system for uh, opposition to Xi to coalesce, especially because he's been so good at uh, taking on his opponents and um, getting rid of them, uh, that this was uh, one, uh, everyone once again expe- hoping that somehow uh, we'd be headed off from this conflict that we're, we're going to get into with the Chinese by somehow getting rid of Xi, but I never quite thought that was likely. And this is what we'll find at the outcome, is that uh, Xi will be, he's going to be with us for a good long while. But that's what a plenum is. And then you have on top of that, you have the what, the Politburo, and then there's the, with, uh, amongst the, the Politburo, there's a smaller group. So it, the best way, a good way to look at it is, is say, the, the get-together of um, organized crime bosses. Uh, and I'm not being funny about that. It really has far more in common with uh, the mafia than it does with um, any sort of well. And just so everybody knows, Grant is like a organized crime. Like that's his like other um, specialty. Yeah, uh, the Cliff Clavin of uh, <laughs> Japanese organized crime. It's that, a little known uh, fact that uh, the Yakuza chopped their fingers off. Exactly. People, that, uh, if you don't know that about Grant, you should, that he writes about the Yakuza. How do you say that? Uh-huh, yeah, that'd work. Yeah, they know what you're saying. Exactly. All right. So Grant is somewhat of a, a, an expert in the area of Japanese organized crime. So He there, is. There, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. The... um. Could you explain to us the uh, China's energy problem? Well, they don't make enough of it. You know, they they don't have enough or they don't produce enough uh, and they can't import enough of it. And it's not just oil, which they don't have enough of. It's oddly enough coal. I mean, they're, they're, sh- they're sitting on a just a, a lot of it, but they can't mine enough of it for their needs. So they it's sort of funny that Australia was their biggest uh, source of coal, and they got mad at Australia because the Australians wouldn't bow down to China, and they also the Australians also said, well, maybe we should ask where the COVID virus came from. <laughs> and the, the, the Chinese have just gone berserk. And so they cut off coal imports from, Chi- from Australia, and then they realized, well, we don't have enough coal. And we got to get it from somewhere. So I think they've started to let it back in. But they say they literally don't have enough uh, energy uh, to keep things or keep factories running. But even more importantly, to keep houses heated. Oh, it sounds and like it the United. It sounds like the United States. Well, we're headed there. Um, we've done it in, on purpose. And uh, but the the Chinese are not trying to do this. They just. You know, they're to their system and somehow they've gotten it screwed up. And it's you don't want if you're the say a communist, even if you're a communist dictatorship, you don't really want this to happen. And especially up in northern China, where it really gets cold when those cold winds blow out of uh, Mongolia and Siberia, etc. It's got them good and worried in a fix. Um, But also you see that 
it's this isn't just a temporary thing. You know, the country cannot produce enough oil and food and energy. And that's one of the reasons why they've got this Belt and Road Initiative, why they're all over the place, you know, buying up oil fields in, in Iraq, uh, cutting deals with Iran and Venezuela to get oil, uh, and also you know, buying up farmland in Ukraine, for example, so they can make enough food to feed themselves. Because those, those are two important things to be able to do. And without that, without those sources of overseas uh, energy and food, China would be in really serious trouble. And that is something that when you're, you know, sitting in, you know, the, the leadership in Beijing is that you worry that, you know, if we do something, say to Taiwan, that maybe the Americans and other free countries will cut us off from all of this overseas energy and food. And China doesn't have the means to defend those overseas sources of things. And that causes them a, a lot of um, consternation. It's a big problem for them to deal with. And we, it doesn't get enough attention, uh, as I see it, because without the, say, those overseas inputs, the Chinese Communist Party would be in huge, huge trouble. Uh, the China that we know today would not exist. And the China that the Chinese know wouldn't exist either. It would be in it would be in a very serious, uh, difficult, serious straits if that were to happen. Interesting. ExxonMobil just announced the final investment decision on a multi-billion petrochemical <clears throat> complex in South China's Guadong province. Guadong province. I don't know how you say that. My Chinese is what it used to be. Um, like my, like my French. Exactly. Although you slip into your French very easily, I might add. The yeah. um. <clears throat> so there you go. Wall Street financing. Um, well, yeah. I, it's you know you you, you, you can't, we're all kind of used to this sort of thing, um, but you know no different than setting up a plant in Germany in the 1930s. Uh, but unless but there's always someone who can tell you, well, this is different. Uh, if I was the sharehold stockholders of Exxon, you know, that I would be raising merry hell right now. But nobody ever seems to do that much. The um, I want to read um, a few headlines for you. And again, we'll talk about Taiwan, which seems to be in the news constantly. Um, U.S. Senate resolution would hail Lithuania for strengthening ties to Taiwan. Next headline. French lawmakers reach out to Taiwan despite risk of angering Beijing. Uh, next headline, French senators depart Taiwan after five-day visit. Um, how do you assess the world's uh, view of Taiwan, which, which amazingly continues to warm? It's almost like Taiwan's like the cool kid now when it was shunned forever. And does the United Nations have any role in saying, yeah, we really don't invade nations like this? Or is it just a, the United Nations is it's just a social event now, and it doesn't really have a role in, in either preventing, uh, well, not in either, but in preventing conflicts like this? Yeah, you know, with the UN, I think it's been a, a number of years when it has, you know, sort of... Um, past its sell-by date. It hasn't been useful for very much for a oh, long time. So it's that thing like that that old sour cream in my uh, in my refrigerator? 
Uh, yeah, but not as tasty. It, uh, it, so it really, it, it just, it hasn't, you know, you, if you look at the, what it actually produces that's of use and then uh, consider how much is, you know, effort and money goes into it, it's probably not worth it. Uh, you, the Chinese have been very effective, though, of um, buying off the General Assembly, and you just need a majority of those nations. Uh, and not just the Chinese, but the most, not just illiberal, the most repressive criminal regimes uh, that you know have free run, run of the place. And of course, on the Security Council, the Russians and the Chinese have veto power, which makes it hard to, to do much. Uh, so it's really not a, a place that is of much use to U.S. national interests, you know, or free world interests. It's been, you know, pretty well subverted. You know, I suppose there is a case to be made that some of the specialized agencies may do something of some use, but overall, it's not not um, doing anything near what it was intended to do. And its treatment of uh, Taiwan is a case in point. Treatment of Israel uh, also. Uh, you look at the makeup of, say, the Human Rights Commission. It's got the, the most criminal regimes on that. You know, the, it's kind of become a joke. You know, and if uh, you look at, say, Rwanda way back, not all that long, and, uh, you know, a million dead Africans, well, what did the UN do? Nothing. What did the Clinton administration do? Nothing. Uh, you know, and just look at the misery around the world and how much does the UN actually do to stop it um, uh, when it could be stopped? Not, not anywhere near what it could do. And some would say it's criminally negligent. Uh, so that's uh, sort of my take on the UN. And the, and the Clinton, the Trump administration tried to stand up uh, and you know, say some of these things and do some things to put the UN in its place, to try to fix it. Uh, but they did, they ran out of time, of course, and they got lots of criticism for stating what was plainly obvious to most normal people uh, with that. Um, in terms of the other Sort of examples you cited of uh, Taiwan uh, getting some favorable attention and treatment. You know that's partly a function, I think, of the Chinese having just scaring the daylights out of people and being pretty brazen about it more so than ever. So we are. Uh, it is good to see that sort of thing. And you know, if you think back a few years, that it that this would have been unthinkable. But now you are getting more people waking up uh, to the really the threat that is is China and Taiwan's importance. Uh, but it's going to take somebody or some country, the, the U.S., for example, to really try and run with this, you know, to take this support and these allies and sort of allow them to coalesce and uh, provide some real support for Taiwan and a, and a counter to uh, what the Chinese are trying to do. But this is sometimes it is helpful to step back a little bit and think of how things were just a few years ago and recognize that this is a sort of a good thing that's that's come about. Of course, you know, you do see the U.S. Congress make these statements of, on behalf of Taiwan. And then when Wall Street sort of um, campaign contributors show up, that they take the money. And at the end of the day, not all that much seems to happen. Uh, so we still got some uh, some problems to work out. But, in a regard. but, but yeah. if I was being an optimist, and I'll be one here, um, these are things that we heretofore have not seen. If I was being an optimist. Mm-hmm. All right, so baby, so baby steps, and and then again, I never even asked you about this, but what was it, a couple weeks ago um, that a guy in the NBA, I think his name is Ennis Cantor, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He essentially, I'll read the headline. Let's see, former 
um, Utah Jazz big man Ennis Cantor calls out Nike and China on reported slave labor camps. Another headline. There's one NBA star that China cannot get to that ran in Australia. NBA and Nike choose silence as Ennis Cantor takes on China. So he was very, very blunt about, um, really, I mean, he, he, he essentially just told the truth about what China has done. And yet um, the NBA continues to nothing to see here, no comment. Um, but you're seeing, but again, you're seeing more of this um, in the news. So uh, it's as you said, it's interesting. Is Chinese continues is is the belligerent behavior that we see more of? Is that the genesis of this kind of behavior that you're seeing more and more of? And uh, I mean, Ennis Cantor wore, I think he wore shoes that said "Modern Day Slavery" in a game. Uh, and those those pictures were everywhere. So um, that, I thought that was kind of interesting. And the NBA's response is typical. Um, uh, nothing to see here, right? Smiling away, boys. Nothing to see here. Yeah, that's that's it. And you know, he's one guy, one brave guy. Um, but you know, he's had like arrest warrants and death threats um, put on by the. Uh, the Turkish regime that is the one that he's got his initial beef with. Right. Uh, and he's a brave guy, but you look at what the NBA itself has done, nothing. Uh, in fact, they've appeased China, uh, I guess, to the NBA leaders that uh, concentration camps and organ harvesting is a good thing. Uh, and then you ask yourself, look at any college campus. I mean, all of them. Where are the protests against Chinese human rights violations and organizations that do business with them? Well, there aren't any. And that, I think, says a lot uh, about where we are today. So while you were being optimistic, I'm going to go in the other direction. But that said, you know, often things, you know, you always hope, you know, that things will work out in ways you don't expect. You know, so while I can criticize, you know, the, you know, the fact that things aren't done exactly the way I say they should, sometimes we muddle into the uh, sort of this circumstances or actions that actually save us and save the free world and it's often hard to predict just how that will happen and you know you look at how we got into world war ii uh boy that was a a near miss that we almost didn't but it was not exactly a a smooth step-by-step approach we sort of stumbled into the doing the right thing at some much greater cost than it needed to be and maybe we'll get lucky this time as well interesting Uh, another headline i want you to explain to us um, and that is USI's January rollout of first projects to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative. Um, it's a Reuters story. And uh, the United States plans to invest in five to ten large infrastructure projects around the world in January as part of a broader group of seven program to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative, a senior official said on Monday. Um, are you at all familiar with this? Um, in general, uh, I would say that the... Now, again, I, I think you and yeah. I have discussed that the great failing yeah. of the Trump administration was was the economic engagement in the region that was necessary to bring, you know, nations like Vietnam and the Philippines mm-hmm. uh, closer or, or more significantly into a Western orbit. 
and that if you're opposed to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, then generate something in its wake, right, that does the same thing that maybe, and, and if it's a bilateral agreement that he talked about. So so um, hopefully this is next steps to that. So your thoughts? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, this isn't the first time that, you know, we've rolled out these projects that are going to take on the, the Belt and the Road. Uh, you know, we few, during the Trump administration, there was something called the Blue Dot Initiative and what some other investment fund that was going to fund all of these projects. And, you know, they, they make for handsome press conferences and then they never seem to produce much. Uh, so I, as I say, there's opportunity to excel here, but I'm not convinced that this is going to be the thing. If it is, I'll admit I'm wrong. Uh, but the, the, what the Chinese have got going is so widespread and deep that, you know, six or seven projects aren't likely to sort of save the day. Maybe it will be a useful start. But once again, uh, wait till the press conference is held that announces these things and then wait six months and see what's actually happened. And, you know, I'm, we'll see. But say we've seen all this before and, you know, everyone claims, ah, oh, this time it's going to going to work but i'm not convinced you know maybe if you put like some guy in charge uh, and you tell him look if uh, works you're going to get compensated handsomely and if it doesn't you've got one year to produce uh, then you're going to lose your pension and you're going to clean out your bank account uh, then i'd take it seriously but as it is i say i'm a little bit uh, skeptical about yeah, how this is going to play like, out you're like uh, nelly naysayer this morning like what but the I'm hell saying, I've, see, I've seen this before you know, and say well, uh, so. Blue, just blue because you've seen it before on multiple occasions, you mean you're that's the that's what's going to happen in the future? Just because it's always been what happens? Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> but, uh, I give up. Yes, this is. We finally turned the corner. We're this finally, is a. This that's is a what we're yeah, looking to. It's a game changer. I think. I, I've there you courage. go. That's what we want yeah, to hear. You got me. Okay, I'm got to be more of a team player. Thank you. Uh, Thank okay. you. Kumba. Sorry, I'm. I'm, Sing I'm with the program. The song. I'm with the program now. Okay. Okay. Um. Wait, I want to ask you about the reaction to your article on the Chinese Marine Corps and and Chinese power project. Well, let me ask you about that now. So I talk about your article with my friends, right? I call them the Mensa brothers and um, in very loving fashion because they're not Mensas. Anyway, um, but one of the things they said was, well, here's the problem with taking the Chinese military around the world. You can't do port visits. And I said, why not? And they said, because everybody will desert. So let me ask you this, Grant. How do they, how does the Chinese military prevent that? Well, everybody does not desert. Uh, that's, you know, that's one way to prevent it, um, is that, you know, they, they, they don't. You know, the, the Chinese do go to foreign ports. They, the reason they don't go to more of them is because they don't feel like it. Uh, they haven't got around to it yet. Um, you know, they came to RIMPAC, say, I remember, a couple times in recent years. Uh, and then it isn't like they didn't have anyone to sail the ships back to China. Uh, they've, you know, just like the old Russians, you know, they, when the Russian Navy would go places. Yeah, they, they didn't have any trouble keeping their people 
on the sh- uh, with, with the ships. Uh, obviously, you, some cases they'll keep, you know, they always have political officers with uh, their forces who keep an eye on things. They do have some limits on how they can get on and, you know, get off the ship and go around. But um, but they, they don't have a problem with that. You know, I say that is, I think, a, um, not quite right. Oh, really? Uh, You're telling me the Mensa brothers are wrong? Well. So let me ask you this. So why would the Chinese not project that power you know, and just be floating around port visits, um, humanitarian assistance. Uh, but again, showing this flag like, hey, we're here to rival you the know, Americans. They, There's an option out there. You know, I don't know why they haven't got around to it yet. But, you know, they what? do. That's make- not an answer. You can't come on as an expert and say, I don't know why. Let's try that why? again. Grant, why? why would the Chinese not show their flag? and project their power if they have the capability to do that? Well, I believe they are biding their time until an opportune circumstance. No, I, I don't. They didn't tell me. Damn it. Uh, but I, you know, they just got, well, the one they could if they wanted. But they've, you'll notice that they've been pretty slow about um, throwing in the, the military component of their overseas influence and overseas presence. And yeah, but as much and, as they lie, it's easily spinnable. Yeah, we are we are projecting the power of the Chinese people in an effort to help when there is a humanitarian crisis. So don't look at the these as as threats and military power in the same way the Americans extend humanitarian assistance. The Chinese people seek to do that as well. I mean, shit, well, I could even write that. Well, they haven't just say with the the natural disaster recovery response. They haven't done it yet in any real way, but they have been very active in PKO operations in Africa that haven't gotten a whole lot of attention. What is PKO? Peacekeeping operation. So oh. UN, you know, the the UN uh, peacekeeping operations. So they've sent units out. I think even battalion sized. Uh, yeah, but we don't care about that. We're Africa. talking about projecting the ultimate symbol of a superpower using your Navy and Marine Corps to project power during a crisis? One step at a time. You know, oh. they'll do it. And the Chinese, you know, they use this expression, when the time is right. You know, they, and that's when they will do it. And they, you know, I don't, they don't probably don't even know for sure. Uh, but when the time is right, you'll see them out and about. It's not as fast as we might have done it, but they've got other things going. And as I said, they put in the commercial presence first they get the political warfare the bribery the influence in place and then the military follows up you know that's when it it's in a sequence and you do get chinese people and chinese organized crime into these places and eventually the the military will get in but it's it goes at a a a set sequence and you can expect it but it goes on a timeline that you know we're that seems odd to us you know because if we can can do something we usually do it if it makes sense to us you know well we think everybody would do it that way but with the chinese they've been slow on the military side of it and it does allow them to say look we're we're a peaceful nation it's a peaceful rise it's a threat to nobody and i think that is sort of why they've held back is they, they don't want to have to argue away uh they the, the, the criticism that they are a military threat. Uh, but when the time is right, they will. And also, I think they know that they're not able yet to sort of hold their own uh, overseas if, uh, 
them, and something happens. Hmm. Uh, but give just give it time, and they will. But it's that sequence, and you, you look at the Pacific Islands as just one example, or African countries, uh, where it's the, the commercial inroads. It's these Chinese immigrants uh, dominating the, the political class, buying it off, creating a pro-China constituency that gets money from you, and let that set and get them hooked on Belt and Road loans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the, the military part, they're, they're slow to do that, uh, you know, slower than, you know, we would think. And um, I think that they don't want to have to deal with that distraction yet. You know, you're, they, that expression, bide your time, or hide your capabilities and bide your time. When the time comes, they'll throw in the, the military part of it all. Uh, that would be my my sense of it. But as I say, those PKO operations they've done that they do in Africa, that shows a sort of a willingness and a capability to go overseas to places a lot of other people won't go. And one gets some practice, but also it builds them a degree of respect and goodwill in uh, some of the anybody, anybody can do that. Anybody well, can do that. But only uh, a mature superpower can project naval power and humanitarian power like that. Well, give them time. You know, as I say, give them time. And one of the, you know, part of when you try and debate this, well, people will tell you, well, they haven't done it. Therefore, they're incapable of it. And there's nothing to worry about. Um, you know, but play it out, you know, over, over, say, over a period of time. And we'll see them, I say, out and about. And they have sent hospital ships uh, throughout the Pacific. Um, sort of a Peace Ark is the name of the ship. Ship. And uh, they do the things that our hospital ships used to do. So they, they do a few things. But you, it is true that they haven't gotten out and about the way they could and the way that we think they well, that Well, if they we had the capability, they, they, they might if they were interested well, in it. So they, they have the capability. They, I think they just aren't ready they're to do They're biding their time. Mm -hmm. Newsom, that's going to be the headline. Newsom says Chinese biding their time. Now, um you write things, and you're not so much about uh, the criticism that you get. Uh, you've told me that before. Um, uh, did you get any feedback from your uh, from your piece about uh, Chinese power projection and the Chinese Marine Corps of uh, that you would share with us? Oh, it seemed pretty good. Um, there one um, gentleman who does know China. He said that the the Chinese Marines don't have the capability to seize anything. Um, but I would differ with him on that. But it, he said, but by and large, he was positive on it. Um, but the the one big mistake in the article is that picture that they used for the um, at the the front of the these guys holding rubber boats on their heads. It, uh, those are actually Taiwan Marines. <laughs> um, they, they're amphibious reconnaissance group. It's and uh, I think is you know when I looked at it, something seemed odd because they didn't look Chinesey. Uh, they and 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 then he, when the guy pointed this out to me, and then you look at the patch, and you see that light blue on it. That I oh I should have known. Uh oh. So uh, but you know I don't choose the picture. Someone else did. Uh, those edit those editor types. Yeah, but it, you know, it's, it's you know, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it is. Uh oh, you know, it was an article about the <laughs> the, the wrong wrong Marine Corps. Uh, but the explain so. the process for those who don't know about writing for 
you know, for for major uh, publishers, many of them on that have web presence, um, you write something and submit it. Yes, then what happens? Um, ideally, it appears quickly, you know, because it's so hard for me to write these things that I always want them uh, to uh, get it immediately. And they usually do it pretty quickly. Uh, and, you know, it just shows up on their their website. And, uh, and you know, and then you have one more thing that will come up if you type your name into Google. Uh, and that's so you, kind of how it works. You write it. You write it and submit it. Who writes the headline? Uh, I will suggest one, but they don't. They often change it, uh, and the pictures are all the the that the me the the paper always chooses the pictures. So I have nothing to do with that. And by the time you've you know you've finished the thing, you just want to be rid of it, and you know yeah, you almost don't care. That, yeah, now we're in yeah, that phase. Yeah, you don't care what they do with it. You just as long as it gets up. Then you know you've kind of got your, you know, your completion, and the pictures. You know, the, I think the pictures always make the things look better, even if they are the wrong Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't. You know, it's just not the end of the the world. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. What are you writing about this week? Uh boy, I think I have to do something about that China military report. Oh. Uh, but the thing is, you know, I don't. Yeah, but you think it's you think it's uh, overall you think it's uh, I don't want to end on an upbeat note. So let me ask you. I don't know I, how can we end this segment on a positive note. Let me so let me give you a chance to be negative again. Well, um, that's easy. I know. I know. Yeah. So here's a headline from the Rand Corporation: How not to dismantle an atomic bomb? A realistic approach to dealing with North Korea's nuclear weapons. This is written by David A. Schlepek. Quote. Early indications are that Joe, the Joe Biden administration will continue with the same failed approach to dealing with North Korea's nuclear weapons program that previous administrations have pursued. In this paper, again, published uh, on the Rand Corporation's website, the author argues that instead of persisting in a doomed quest to denuclearize North Korea, the United States and its allies should adopt a something-for-something strategy that gradually establishes a framework for managing Pyongyang's nuclear capability in a way that improves stability and the chance for peace in East Asia. Now, who could find something wrong with that? Well, me, uh, probably (laughs) everyone else who looks at this. You know, it's, you know, I've got a plan for ending world hunger. Uh, you know, we're going to give everybody food. Well, okay. Okay. You know, well, what this guy is saying, he's, you know, what he is suggesting has been tried repeatedly over the last 30 years with North Korea. There's really no, nothing that hasn't been tried. Uh, it's some combination of presence and threats and language to try and uh, say, reach a deal with North Korea. You know, it's the poor guy is trying to say something new when there's nothing new to be said. Uh, and it, it sounds, you kind of I haven't read the report, but the synopsis sounds um, underwhelming. Uh, and plus, he, he doesn't it really, uh, doesn't seem to uh, ask whether, not, at least in the synopsis, whether, you know, whether or not the North Koreans even want to denuclearize. And, but then he talks about managing it. Well, 
that's a little condescending to think that, oh, these, you know, these half-wit North Koreans, we can manage them and they'll, you know, they'll just be glad to have us manage them. Uh, you know, I don't get that, you know, and it's what's the rush, you know, to, you know, to change things, you know, as if you're, you know, especially if you're going to try something that has been tried and hasn't worked, uh, you know, look, you know, there's a, people often say, well, we can't keep the status quo in, on the Korean peninsula. Uh, and therefore we have to give, make concessions to, to North Korea, but the status quo has worked pretty well for 60 years. You know, it's allowed South Korea to develop into the world's 10th or 11th largest economy and a consensual democracy. There hasn't been a war. Uh, you know, that's kind of working pretty well. It may not be ideal. It's not what we would all like to have in a perfect world. But um, I wouldn't be in such a rush to uh, fix something that isn't all that broken. Uh, and if it, uh, you know, if it really is North Korean behavior you want to modify, then you're going to have to go after China. And if you don't go after the Chinese financial institutions, the big ones, then your chances of uh, influencing North Korea in the right way are not likely to succeed. Uh, some people argue, well, look, why don't we just get it over with, recognize North Korea, recognize them as a nuclear power, set up an embassy in North Korea, let them set one up in Washington, and let's see where it goes from there. And the idea is that that will somehow draw them away from the PRC. Uh, it's a position, and you know it hasn't been tried. Uh, but you know that is probably you know maybe more interesting than the idea of trying to figure out you know what what exactly you know Kim Jong Un's uh, uh, prices uh, once again for the umpteenth time. And so you know this sort of thing. It you know they you just wait a week, and I don't think anyone will remember the this Rand report. But I'm sure that whoever commissioned it will, uh, that their check will cash. There, how's that? Wow. Well, again, that, that, (laughs) there you go. I did, I don't want to end the interview on a positive note. All right. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that's going on that you feel the the need to be negative about or comment on? Hmm. It's not at the moment, but throughout the day, I'm just uh, one after another. I think of these things that cause me such resentment that uh, you know that I'm surprised they're not just um, lined up uh, like jets over LaGuardia right now. Um, but I can't think of them. All right. Well, Grant. Uh, on that note, uh, we will bid you adieu. That's French for uh, something. I don't even know what it is, but I think it's goodbye. We. Oui? Um, we. Oui. It uh, au revoir. Do, au don't revoir. they say that them Frenchies? What does adieu then? Adieu, uh, bid you adieu. Um, I guess goodbye. That's what I would say. Man, I've got to get more savoir faire. I just uh, haven't got enough of it. But, uh, I'll uh, do translation uh, into English. Examples from French. On adieu bien fier. We've got a lot of good to do today. Adieu, French to English. Translation of adieu in English. Hmm. Oh, this is perplexing. It is perplexing because I don't see it. Adieu. Hmm. A day? A D I E U? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I bid you adieu. Um, huh. Hmm. 
That's a, that's your assignment before we speak again. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, oh, and, and oh, by the way, happy birthday, Grant. This is uh, the birthday of the Marine Corps week. Okay. So uh, happy birthday to you. Well, we whooped them Yankees. Yeah, we whipped everybody. We whooped Just look at Yankees. our look at our history. What we were, now? Will you will you be leading the Marine Corps birthday celebration in Taiwan? No, they uh, refused to invite me. Um, the 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 AIT, the American Institute in Taiwan, refused to invite me. Uh, a while back, so I. Why? Uh, Are you a persona I, I non grata at the uh, at the at the embassy? No, I, I don't know. The uh, you know it's. Um, Do they celebrate the Marine Corps birthday there? There is, yeah. The Taiwan Marines have, uh, yeah. They they put something on and they invite Taiwan Marines, but uh, for some reason I'm not on their list. Whoa! Uh, and it's surprising because the guy who arranges it, you know, I kind of thought he knew who I was, and he didn't. Uh, well, I guess uh, I'm not a player anymore, so that's the thing. Oh, really? So, I yeah, know, so. but the the thing about players is, right, you have to discount them for their further use, and you don't, like, want to alienate a player when they could be a player, and then you ha- don't have access to it, because I think it's uh, short-sighted on, beha- on the part of the AIT. Yeah. Well, the Japanese don't invite me to things either. So. Well, that's because of your writing yeah. about the yokoza. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's it. But no. But anyway, yeah. So uh, you know, that is what it is. But the yeah, it's, I guess it is birthday time, and um, yeah, we, we'll see. How, you know, I got invited once to the uh, as a guest of honor to the Marine Corps Ball in Hong Kong in 2010 or so, and. You know, they they must have really been scraping the bottom of the barrel with like a like an electric paint chipper to get me as, as the the guest uh, of honor, uh, and the uh, so I gave I gave a nice speech, and then after it, yeah, you know, one of the visitors he asked, you know, we were talking, and he says, well, why did you join the Marine Corps? And I, you know, thought about it for a minute, and then I said, you know, well, well, I every young man should seek adventure and responsibility, <laughs> you know, I. It, you know, I said, uh, you know, I was uh, I was thirty thousand bucks in the hole, and I was unemployed, <laughs> and I think that's why I joined the Marines. It, uh, so I think he was a little disappointed that it wasn't in the quest for adventure. Yeah, that you know, um, you know, for most of us, it's like, yeah, I could probably get a girl if I wore that uniform, right? It is a uh, organization of social outcasts. Uh, that are not afraid to throw their life away on a dare. Um, so I don't know. Maybe you were one of the few intellects Grant that joined, but uh, for the rest yeah, of us, yeah. trying to get a date. <laughs> yeah, no, I was afraid of being sent to Australia as a debtor from a prison ship. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, it isn't like you, you know you just sort of chose the Marine Corps at random. You know, you have some kind of interest in it, but the uh, the proximate cause uh, was uh, sort of the. Um, the indebtedness and uh, lack of gainful employment. So. The, but it worked out well. You know, see, so that wasn't no, it for me. No I was gainfully employed. I was working for Merrill Lynch. and um, Ooh, that's like a criminal. Yeah, yeah. I graduated uh, nice. college. I was working in Los Angeles for Merrill Lynch. And Marines were in Beirut. And I, you probably remember the story. A captain by the name of Johnson stopped an Israeli tank from cutting through his posi- mm-hmm. his company's position. Yeah. And he stood mm-hmm. in front of the Israeli tank with his forty five and pointed. <laughs> and I thought, and I read the story, and I thought, you know what? That's what men do. 
that's the kind of shit that men do. Mm-hmm. And here I sit, right? <laughs> here I sit at Merrill Lynch doing stuff that old men do, right? Not young men are out conquering the planet. And I'd seen Marines in Southern California, always impressive in their uniforms and always a bit of like uncertainty when you were near them, like what might happen. Um, uh, so yeah, for me, the uh, sense of uh, uh, certainly high adventure, but I thought I would be, uh, I thought I would be good at it. And I being on teams was something I'd done since I was a kid, so I was like comfortable with that part of it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Oh so, man, yeah, uh, I gotta that's, get that's a my story. story. I've got to get a better story. It's uh, yeah, um, yeah. This I'm feeling um oh goodness inadequate right now. Yeah, you like a a whelp standing next to my story. I know it. Yeah, or goodness, um, boy, just unprincipled. I think so. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> goodness, no, I'm well. No, I mean it. It actually paints you in a bad light because. As I say when I go around the country and speak to Marines, if you join the Marine Corps for a ben- for the benefits, you're fucking stupid, okay? <laughs> because there's three more reasonable options that you could choose to get the exact same benefits. So, Grant, if that's you, I don't want to pass judgment on you, but I might. <laughs> I, I I think I might have already done so. No, but I, I do think a young man should seek adventure. But the uh, yeah, you know, I could have, of course, you know, there's other things, but the um, but yeah, it does concentrate the mind, uh, you know, as it was. But the, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, and as I said, I didn't choose it out of a hat. But you know, you always had some interest in the Marines, and uh, you know, and it's uh, and it's kind of fun. You know, that's sort of the the other part of it. You know, the. Um, so well but, it, you know, with the marine corps you get the high adventure the unpredictability of marines who i mean we join the organization that is you know markets itself as the cruelest and least sensitive right <laughs> join the world and see the marines as code for we're going to go get drunk in the med and out in the pacific and we're going to rip it up after we go do whatever they tell us to do out there but that's the story those are the stories we hear in garages all across the country right yeah, join the join the Marine Corps. See the world is code for. We're gonna get drunk after we do that shit, and we're gonna rip it up and and uh, have these incredible adventures. Um, lots of them involving strip joints, and you too could be one of us. The few, the, few, the proud. Yes. Okay, now that's my story. <laughs> and, uh, that is no, the story. No, Garages no, all over the country. Those, yeah. those are the stories. Except not so much in the last 20 years, right? Not so much. Yeah. We have not been doing that. We've been going to like remote places and fighting. I mean, and I I don't I don't recall ever seeing a kind of any kind of billboard for a strip joint in either Afghanistan or Iraq, which relative to the culture is problematic, but Yeah. Well, when we invade Montreal, I think it'll be a, that'll take care of that. <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right, Grant, on that note, have, have a good day. Happy birthday. <laughs> okay, yes, happy birthday. Well, we whooped them Yankees. We okay. whooped everybody. Just ask us or go to our museum. We'll tell you. Well, it is a good museum. Well worth a visit. Yeah. All right, okay. Grant, have a great day. Okay, righto. Mm-hmm. Out here.
That'll do it on a Tuesday, November 9th, Marine Corps birthday eve. My thanks to Grant for coming on, and all the best of luck to him attempting to get invited to a party. Yeah, good luck, Grant. So have a great, uh, have a great Tuesday. Happy birthday to everybody. Yeah. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. If I can help you help somebody, um, let me know. I'd be happy to. So on that note, happy birthday. I'm out.